doing that, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you ready for the word this morning? All right, hold it up. Say, this is God's word. Not Pastor Edmund's word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, we thank you for this time that we have the fellowship around your word. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a lamp, a light unto our path. It is sharp, quick, and powerful. And, Father, it is able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And so as we study the word this morning, I thank you that the word that you have deposited in my heart will be clearly spoken, God, that there will be no hindrances. And we thank you this morning that signs, miracles, and wonders will follow your word. And as I have decreased, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit rising up to feed every person in this room spiritually exactly where they are. Holy Spirit, we know that you are the ultimate teacher and you are the ultimate reacher. So reach everyone with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're starting a new series uh, for the month of September, and it is entitled True Answers in Troubled Times. And so over the next four weeks, you'll receive some life-changing teaching that is full of biblical principles designed to help any believer lift their faith answer tough questions about life, and provide overcoming solutions for any difficult situation you may be facing. So our first lesson this morning is entitled, Temptations, Trials, and Tests. You can write that down. Temptations, Trials, and Tests. And the goal of today's message is to help us understand why temptations, trials, and tests exist and what is God's perspective regarding them. So many times people's view of trials, temptations, or tests are unbiblical. And if you don't have the proper biblical view of something like that, then you can either end up in it longer than what you should have been or maybe you never should have gotten in it. You know, there are some temptations that we never should have faced. Amen. And I'll explain to you why as we get into the lesson. So I want you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And what I'm going to do quickly is to give you a perspective of the difference between temptations, tests, and trials. Temptations, tests, and trials. And so I'm going to start in James, which is uh, close to the book of Hebrews. If you find Hebrews, just keep turning and you should find the book of James. James chapter 1. And... and uh, Here's the question that I want to answer uh, as we read this morning. Uh, it, it's this. What are temptations? What are trials? And what, are, what, what tests? What are they? And what purpose do they have? Okay. In James chapter 1, are you there? Say, I'm there. Okay. Watch this now. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of who? Come on, class. I am tempted of who? God, for God cannot be tempted with what? Evil, neither tempts he any man. 
Look in verse 14. But every man is what? Come on, class. Are y'all woke this morning? Y'all woke? Okay, let's try it again. But every man is what? Tempted, there we go, when he is drawn away of his what? Own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, the word tempt there, or temptation, is the same thing, and I want you to write this down for the definition of temptation. It means an enticement to sin that can come from internal desires or external circumstances. I'm going to say that again. The word temptations means an enticement to sin that can come from internal desires or external circumstances. In other words, whenever a person is going through some temptations, those temptations can come from one or two places. They can come from internal desires that may be perverted or they can come from external circumstances. Now, here's another definition for the word temptations. It's a state where we are enticed to sin that can eventually push us to a lapse from faith and holiness. In other words, it's a state where we're being enticed to sin, but the goal is to push us out of fellowship with God, and uh, the goal is also to push us out of a lifestyle of holiness. Now, you can write this third definition down. It means to be enticed or allured to evil. See, the devil never comes to us And say, I'm the devil. I am going to kill your marriage. He doesn't do that. He doesn't have a pitchfork and a red suit like they show on TV. The devil can come in the form of a beautiful person. Amen. And so if we don't know what he looks like when he comes, then we can flunk. So temptations are nothing but opportunities to sin. Now, you can face a temptation and not necessarily give in to it. So temptations always have a choice. So I want you to write down this as a take-home statement. Temptations are choice-driven. Temptations are choice-driven. It don't seem like they are, don't do it. See, back in the day when I was growing up, Flip Flip Wilson, is that his name? Yeah, he was famous then, and he had a famous saying. What was it? The devil made me do it. And we bought that lie. You know, last night I got hungry, like, like, like 12 o'clock last night. I got hungry. So, you know, Taco Bell is open late. So I swung through the drive-thru, and I got me some tacos, right? So I, just, I needed some air in one of my tires. So I stopped by the, the, the gas station to get some air. I didn't have enough quarters. So I went into the store to get some change. I go in there and the guy, I had a dollar. He says, I'm sorry, I cannot open the register without a sale. If I do it, I have to fill out like five pages of paperwork. So I'm, I'm, and, and inside I'm going, that's not my problem. I just want some air. So I said, well, you know what? Everybody needs good breath. I'll just buy me some chewing gum and be all good with it. So I give me some chewing gum. I put it on the counter. And then I give him a 20. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. I can't break that 20. He says, I only have a 10, a 5, and 5 ones in my register for my safety. I said, is that in writing somewhere around here? 
He says, no one's right. But I am so sorry. I'm so, you can go to the racetrack if you want to. I said, I don't want to go to the racetrack. And I walked out. Because there was a temptation for me to just tell that man, I just wanted to grab his shirt and say, give me some change. Do you have a dollar change in your pocket? I didn't do it though. That was a temptation. You don't have to yield to temptation. Then we have tests. Go to Genesis 22. Go to Genesis 22. Now, don't, don't be judging me because some of y'all wanted to cut some folks out this week. Some of y'all did. You flunked and you just cussed them out. You cussed them out. Genesis 22. Look in verse 1. Now, remember now, it said that God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt any man. But when you read the Bible, if you don't understand what you're reading, you don't do research, you can read something that it don't mean. Now, let me explain something about the Bible. If you read something about the Bible and you don't understand it, you know why? It's because you don't understand it. It's nothing wrong with the Bible. It's just that we don't understand it. In Genesis chapter 22, watch this situation now. We're talking about tests. Now, the word test in the Bible is not necessarily test. It's the word prove. Okay, so look in chapter 22, verse 1. It says, and it came to pass after these things that, that God did tempt who? Okay, now there's an issue right there. If God, the Bible said, neither tempts he any man. God doesn't tempt man. And so why is it that it's saying that God is tempting Abraham? Because this word tempt doesn't mean what we just read as a definition. This word tempt is the word test or prove, same thing. And so it's said here that God was proving Abraham, testing Abraham. Now, remember now, most people, I'm going to show you through this one particular situation in the Bible. People think that what the test was is not what it was. And I'm going to show you. Look at verse 2. And he said, this is the test. He says, now take thy son, thy only son, in whom you love, and, and, uh, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the Upon the mountains, which I'll tell you. Now, it sounds like the test is for him to kill Isaac. Is that right? Okay, look at the next verse. And Abraham rose early in the morning. And he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac. And then if you drop down now in verse 7, it says, And Isaac spoke to Abraham and his father. And he said, Father, he said, Here am I, your son. He said, Behold, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where is the burnt offering? Look at verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will what? God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went together. Now watch this now, because I'm going to show you here, is that the test was not to see if Abraham would kill his son. The test was to see if Abraham would believe that God would supply sacrifice. And I'm going to show you why. Look down now in verse 14. Uh, uh, look, look in verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand upon you on the lad, neither do him any harm. For I know now that you fear God, seeing that you have not withhold your only son. Look in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering. Look at verse 14. I'm going to prove to you that offering his son was not the test. The test was to see if Abraham could believe that God would supply a sacrifice. Look at verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place what? Jehovah what? 
That's why we sing the song, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Why? Because it says, as it said in this day, the mount of the Lord has seen. Look at verse 17. Watch. Well, let me just say, the test was to see if Abraham could believe that God would meet the need. It was not to offer up his son. Now we can see in context that the temptation wasn't a temptation. It was a test to see if Abraham could believe that God would meet his need. And that's the test that most people flunk in life. You cannot stand on God's word long enough uh, because most people, are, they don't believe that God's going to come through. And I'm going to share that with you. But let me show you what happens after every test you take. After every test you successfully pass, God is obligated to bless you. Let's look now, and I have several references for that, but let's look in verse 17. He said, no, look at verse 16. And he said, by myself have I sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld thine own son, verse 17, that in blessing, I will what? Bless you. And in multiplying, I will what? Multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of thine enemies. In other words, Abraham's multiplied blessing was contingent upon him overcoming that test or passing that test. Do you see that? So, after, you can write this down as a point. After the successful completion of every major test, God always rewards us with blessing. Uh, God will never ask you to do something that is challenging to you that if you obey, he won't bless you. Long years ago, when we, when the first time God asked us to empty our bank accounts, it really, it really was, it was not something that I was used to doing. It was the first time. And so, but since that time, once a year at least, we get big bulk blessings. Boom. I'm talking about like major money just come in at one time. Boom. It's happened since then all the way up until now. Because just like he told Abraham, I will bless you. But he also said, I would multiply you. So whatever you give to, watch this now. What, what was he offering to the Lord? His son, right? Well, what did he get multiplied of? Children, sons. So whatever you give to God in sacrifice, God always multiplies back. So now we see that temptations are enticements to sin that comes from internal desires. We see tests that are really designed for us to see what we are. That's what it is because God already knows what we're going to do. Now let's look at trials very quickly and then I'm going to jump into the lesson that I wanted to get into this morning. Uh, go to James. Go back to James chapter 1. James 1. Because trials to me can come from two different directions. They can come from us making poor choices, and they can just come from uh, what I call the uh, just life, just things that happen in life. In, in James chapter 1, we read this earlier. I'm going to look in verse 3, James 1, 3. It says here, this is the beginning of the verse that I didn't read. It says, knowing this, that the trying of your what? Faith works what? What is being tried here? Come on, class. So listen, trials are designed to see where your faith is at. Now, God does not create trials for him to see where we are. Trials just happen. And I'm going to show you here. I'm going to list some things for you to help you see how temptations and trials come about. But just for your information, uh, go to First Peter. Go to, keep your hand there in James. Go to First Peter. Just keep going forward. You'll see First Peter. It's right after James. First Peter chapter 4. Uh, look in verse 12. First Peter 4, 12. 
Well, let's go to 1 Peter 1, 7, and then we'll go to 1 Peter 4, 12. 1 Peter 1, 7. Let me show you this again, that when it talk about trials, trials are really designed to see where your faith is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, listen to what it says. It says that the trial of your what? Faith. faith, being much more precious than gold, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and glory unto the appearing of Jesus Christ. So listen, trials are designed to see and test our faith. Now, look in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Let me show you this. Because this word trial or fiery trial is only mentioned like four times in the whole Bible in the New Testament. Now, if you look at scriptures that talk about overcoming trials, they are ten times more than the four that's mentioned about trials. But the average believer talks more about the trials than they talk about overcoming the trials. So why, if God only mentioned trials like four times and then mentioned, and I'll give you some verses this morning about overcoming trials. If he outlisted trials by talking about overcoming them, why do we talk about trials more than he does? Now, in 1 Peter chapter 4, look in verse 12. Are you there? Okay, listen to what it says here. It says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the what kind of trial? The fiery trial, which is to what? Try you. Now the word trial, fiery trial, is actually one word in the Greek. And it means to burn and refine. It means the testing of your faith through suffering. So there are some things that are going to happen in life that God didn't, you know, he didn't do it. But he will not waste experiences. And many of us, we flunk the trial because we're looking at what we're going through instead of looking at what our faith is supposed to produce through it. Now, let's look now. Here, you can write this down. How do temptation and trials come about? How do temptation and trials come about? Number one, through personal lust and desires. We read that through James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. In other words, there are some personal lust and desires that, have you ever bought something or you lusted for something and then you got it and then it just threw your life off, it threw your budget off, it threw, you know, some of y'all met the wrong person. And, you know, you know. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, you know. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, don't make me have to ask you now. So we got personal lusts and desires. Number two, poor judgment. Some trials and temptations come because we exercise poor judgment. This is when we don't fully count the cost of what we're about to do. Then you have past sins. It's not the sin itself. It's the consequences of yielding to the enticement of these sins and to the flesh, the pressures of the flesh. So you have past sins. Then you have personal attacks from the enemy. That's how some temptation. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, go to Luke chapter 4 very quickly. Luke 4, let me show you this. See, many times we don't see that temptations don't come from God. They come directly from the devil. And in Luke chapter 4 verse 2, it's very clear where they come from. This is Jesus being tempted. In verse 2 it says, being 40 days tempted of the devil. Being 40 days tempted of what? See, we read that. We used, we, we used to think that Jesus was tempted one of those days. That's not what it says. How many says days he said he tempted? He was tempted. Can you imagine being tempted for 40 days straight? And that's why the Bible says that we don't have a high priest who cannot... You know, uh, understand the things that we're going through. But because why? Because he was tempted like we are yet with our sins. So he didn't just get tempted one of those days. Now, can you imagine 
fasting and praying and being tempted. I mean, some of you all fasting one day can't last through that Burger King commercial. How many of you you know what I'm talking about? Man, you know, listen, when you fast, don't watch TV. And then you got to watch, listen to the radio because, it, you, you know, it's not until you fast and that you hear food commercials. So we can see here that temptation came from who? The devil. Now, let's look at God's perspective. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. This is where I wanted to go right here. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians I have 10, 10 minutes to work this out. This is very good. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at God's perspective on temptations, trials, and tests. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look in verse 13. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Now, I'm going to read this to two versions. I'm reading the, 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 the uh, King James Version. It says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, what you're going through is not unique, but God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able. That just says right there, if you're going through a trial or a temptation, you would not be going through it if God didn't know you couldn't pass it. It goes on to say, uh, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now watch this in the Amplified. It says, for no temptation, no trial regarding an enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Now, watch this. The message translation is more simpler. It says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limit. He will always be there to help you to come through it. In other words, listen, that scripture saying it doesn't matter what you face in life. God is there to not only get you through it, but to help you overcome it. So watch this now. Go to John 16. Go to John 16. Go to John 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to John chapter 16. God, you can write this down as a point. Problems are real, but problems are powerless. Problems are real. But if we view them through God's eyes and with a renewed mind, problems are really powerless. In John 16, watch this now, look in verse 3. I hear some of y'all thinking, man, the problem I'm going through right now is real to me. Look at verse 33. Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you that you might have peace. He says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Now, how many know tribulation involves trouble? He says, in the world you shall have tribulation. But then I like, he says, but, which cancels that out. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Most of us have the wrong attitude when we're going through difficulty. 
If you're going through difficulty, if Jesus said, but I've already overcome it, and he says, be joyful in it, be of good cheer, then you ought to not be crying, you ought to be praising. Now watch this, this is interesting though. In the Amplified it says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain and undone For I, am, I have overcome the world, I have deprived it of power to harm you and, and have conquered it for you. So guess what now? Regardless of the test, trial or temptation, God's view is the outcome is always victory. Now go to 2 Corinthians. We'll close on this with this. Well, we may not close with this verse. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians 2. See, uh, I love uh, the Bible because, see, it's going to show me. It's my roadmap to life. And in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, Now thanks be unto God, which sometimes calls us to triumph in Christ. What does it say? What does it say? It says he always causes us to triumph in who? In Christ. Now go to 1 John. We'll use this as our last verse. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Now let me tell you why the average believer does not successfully pass trials, temptations, and tests. Because number one, we are not totally convinced that God's going to bring us out. Now let me show you how... Give me a microphone. Let me show you how to know you are totally convinced or not. Now, I'm going to ask some of y'all a question. I just want you to answer. It ain't a hard question. It ain't deep. It ain't a trick question. I just want you to answer the question. Okay? Are we ready? What's your name? Carmen. You sure? Yes. You positive? Positive. Your name not Annie? Nope. Your name not Shakadu? No. Okay. What's your name? Glenn. Glenn? You sure? You sure your name not Papa? No, that's Glenn. What's on your birth certificate? Glenn. What people call you at work? Glenn. Okay. What's your name? Robin. Robin. You sure it's not Sparrow? <laughs> what is it? Robin. Robin. Now, how many in here think that I'm good enough to convince any of you all that your name is not your name? Let me see your hand. If I can convince you that that's not your name, raise your hand. Because if you raise your hand, I, 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 you really believe in me then. <laughs> but see, here's the point I wanted to make. Just like I couldn't convince you and them to change their name, that's how convinced you have to be that God's going to bring you out. Yeah. I mean, the average person ain't sitting around going, I wonder what's my name? What's my name? What did I tell you my name was yesterday? I, what, what's my name? And you go back to your mama, mama, what's my name? No, you are convinced that that is your name. When you know that God is going to bring you out, you don't sit around and think about options of how he's not going to do it. You don't even worry about the way he's going to do it. You just know that he's going to do it. Here's the second reason why most, most believers don't get out of the circumstances. Because we're trying to figure out how God's going to bring us out. Listen, the moment you figure out how God's going to bring you out is the moment you put God in a box. Listen, God's ways are too big for you to try to figure out how he's going to do something. Amen. Now, 1 John chapter 5. Look at this. Are you in 1 John 5? Okay, we're going to close on with this. It says, 1 John 5, look in verse 4. It says, for whosoever, it really says whatsoever, but that means whosoever. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the what? 
My goodness. Now the word overcome is the Greek word nakeo, which is pronounced niki, niki, almost like Nike, but it's spelled N-I-K-A-O. And it means to subdue, to conquer, and to prevail. So what he's saying in that verse is, he says, for whosoever is born of God conquers, prevails, subdues, and overcomes the what? The world. Now watch this now. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. Now, the word victory there, in the Greek, it is the word Nike. N-I-K-E. But it's actually pronounced in the Greek as Nike. But it's still the same word Nike. So Nike really means victory. Okay, so what it's saying here, I want you to notice there are two types of victory in this verse he said whoever is born of god is going to overcome the world so that's one level of victory and then he says and this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith so i want you to write down these two different kinds of victories number one you have positional victory positional victory and this victory is automatically mine and yours once we are positioned in christ through salvation I'm going to say that again. You have positional victory. This is victory that is automatically ours when we are positioned in Christ through salvation. And then the second victory, which is the one that really helps us to overcome, is purposeful victory. And this is victory that can come only when I purposely apply the word to my circumstances and stand on it until I see God come through for me. Now, that victory is the one that most believers flunk at. It's the purposeful victory. Now, and if, I'm going to give you scriptures for these and then we'll close here. I only have one minute. All right. In positional victory, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you can write it down. It says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So when you got saved, you got saved by grace through faith. So it took faith for you to still get saved. But that's a positional victory. In 1 John 4, 4, since we're there, go to 1 John 4, 4. Look what it says. It says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. That is a positional victory. But then you have the purposeful victory. And that's the one. Look at 1 John chapter 5, look in verse 4 again, but we're going to look at verse B. He says, or B part of the verse, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So guess what? That takes application now. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, you can just write that down. It says, behold, I give unto you power over all the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So here's the thing, and I'm going to close right here. Here's the problem with most believers why we don't endure successfully through tests, trials, and temptations. Because, see... We are actually in position by our faith for positional victory. But see, purposeful victory only comes through the power of fellowship. First John, go to first John, look in chapter one. Let me show you this. First John one, look in verse three. It says that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Jump down now in verse, look at, look in verse th- uh, five. It says, this is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him. Everybody say fellowship. See, we are in position of victory through faith. But we are in 
purposeful victory when we function through fellowship. Look at the next verse. He says, but if, listen, if we say we are having fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, that's fellowship now, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ covers us, cleanses us from all sin. So what am I saying? The only way to successfully endure and overcome in difficult situations is when your fellowship with God is intact. See, when, you, when I say fellowship with God, I mean you are not consistently walking contrary to God's word. See, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we have the shield of faith. The purpose of the shield of faith is to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. But see, that shield of faith can only stay up when I'm in fellowship with God. Do you know it's hard to have faith towards God when you ain't doing your part? And so the devil, what he does, he pushes us into condemnation because we're not spending the time that we need with God in that fellowship so we can have that confidence that we can overcome anything. So what am I saying this morning? I'm saying this. To overcome test trials and temptations in life, it's God's, he wants us to overcome. But it helps him to help us to overcome when we're in fellowship with him. That just means, see, this is why some of y'all just fighting on tooth and nail to just spend some time with God. The devil knows that if he can keep you out of that time with God, he can just derail your confidence. And if he derails your confidence, it's, the Bible says this is the confidence that we have toward God. That whatever we ask, we know he, hear, he hears us. And whatever we, he hears us, he know, we know that he's going to grant those petitions we, we desire. But if you're not in fellowship with the man, the devil said, you ain't read. Come on, let me ask you a question. How many of the devil done told you before? You ain't read your Bible in a week. God ain't going to hear you. Oh, so it's about three hands. Okay, all right. That was a question. Let me ask it again. How many of the devil just, come, you know, said you ain't prayed or you ain't. How many have you done like that before? See, because the strength of our victory comes through our fellowship with God. And if you don't spend time with God and function through fellowship, then you're going to function through the flesh. The flesh is a bad boy. And the only thing that can tame the flesh is that fellowship with God. When you're spending time with God and you're reading his word and you're praying to him, he's there to encourage you. The word is there to strengthen you. The spirit of God is there to pray on your behalf. And I believe this morning God wanted me to just encourage those who are believers to to. Protect your time with him. Protect it. Because if you don't protect it, then anybody can just come in. The phone will ring. The kids will come. Work increases. And next thing you know, you're functioning on fumes. Every head by and every eye closed. I believe there are some people in here, you're functioning on fumes this morning. And the Lord is saying, that's okay. Because if you will come back to the fountain of living waters, I will not only refresh you and reignite you, but I will push you up where there will be a fence around.